Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today. With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today, I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word known to many, if not most, today, but when people think of yoga, they tend to think of it in a very narrow sense as just a form of physical exercise, where in reality, yoga is a much broader practice, philosophy, and gives guidance, really, to how to live a spiritually conscious, fulfilled life in today's world. So today, our topic is Find Inner Peace and Share It. And we'll be talking about um, how we can bring the inner peace we find meditation into the wider world and what actions we can take that make a difference. We're going to be discussing the balance between cultivating our inner life and activating a path of service in the world, a continuum of peace. And my guest today is Philip Helmick, who is, uh, that's where I, I first heard this idea of the continuum of peace. I'm very excited to have Philip on the show. He's Director of Peace at the Shift Network, Director of the Summer of Peace, and Lead Designer of the World Peace Library. We'll be talking more about what those things are during the program. He's dedicated most of his life to global and local peace-building initiatives, including 14 years with Search for Common Ground. He also served for four years as a Peace Corps volunteer in Sierra Leone, where he lived and worked in small, remote bush villages. A published writer, Philip is author of God and Conflict, A Search for Peace in a Time of Crisis. He serves as advisor to the Global Peace Initiative of Women. A longtime meditation practitioner, Philip enjoys studying and teaching about the parallels between inner and outer peace. And you can find out more about his exciting work uh, at the websites summerofpeace.net and worldpeacelibrary.com. So welcome, Philip Helmick. I'm delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour. Well, Laurel, thank you so much. It's a real treat to be here with the Yoga Hour. I just really appreciate all that you and the team are doing, and it's a real honor to be here. So thank you. So before we begin our dialogue about finding inner peace and sharing it, let's begin with finding our inner peace, a moment of meditation. Oh. Let's begin. 
begin by turning our attention within and taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Our breath is a wonderful tool that's always with us so we can turn any moment into a yoga moment, a time to turn our attention and awareness within by following our breath and bringing ourselves fully present. Wherever we are and whatever we're doing, we can observe our breath, not trying to change it, just noticing its natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. We can take this moment to dive within and open our heart to the divine. This one reality called by many names is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present as you as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise. We can watch those thoughts and feelings as they move through our awareness like clouds moving across a blue sky and watching as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond sensation, pure existence being. Feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Philip Helmick, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm delighted to have you as a guest. So from your book, it seems that your journey as a peacemaker really began with your time in Sierra Leone. When you started, you worked for the Peace Corps, and then later, when war broke out there, your relationships with the people and the community that you describe in the book sounds idyllic, despite the deep poverty and isolation. So how did your experience there inspire you to work for peace? Well, Laurel, uh, thank you. First of all, thank you for that centering meditation. It's just beautiful to start a, com- a dialogue with that centering. Sierra Leone was a profound experience. You know, I grew up in rural Indiana, large, loving, very loving family, close-knit family. And then living in the bush of Sierra Leone for four years, no rainwater, no electricity. My friends were and are subsistent farmers living on, they lived on about a dollar a day or less. And it was just a profound experience of, you know, going from an all-white county in Indiana to being the only white person around in these villages and forgetting about race, connecting with people on heart levels. And and then just really the there was a, a simplicity 
to life there of, you know, not having distractions of the media, being able to really connect in with the, the rhythms of nature, the rhythms of the moon, the rhythms of the rainy season, the rhythms of the crops. There was a, a deep sense of connectedness across these small villages um, and, and the extended families, and there was a relationship with spirituality, the ancestors. Uh, they would have initiation rites for young boys and girls coming into adulthood. And there was a really deep sense of belonging, even though life was hard because, you know, subsistence farming is a hard life and one out of every four or five children would die before the age of five. There was also a, a deep sense of belonging and peace that went beyond anything I had experienced, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the United States. And and, and it's it, it really provided a lens to really reflect on what is this pursuit of happiness. Um, and because I, you know... There's, and that was really the impetus of really looking deeper at peace because I had such a deep connection with my friends in Sierra Leone. I mean, they became my family, uh, just like my family in Indiana. Um, and then that sense of connectedness and like, what does a person really need in order to be happy? And so when I came back to the United States and I really started questioning the Western pursuit of happiness. And then we'll talk more later about the impact of going back during the war, which was just heartbreaking, really heartbreaking. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine. So when you, um, as you've mentioned, you know, you came back from your years as a Peace Corps, you know, volunteer, and then you you, uh, began an intense inner journey to integrate your experiences, um, especially with the contrast between what you've just mentioned about Sierra Leone and then coming back to our fast-paced, consumption-oriented society with a much weaker sense of community. Um, and your, your, you know, drive toward this um, integration, this inner integration, really led you to the study of Kriya Yoga. So what drew you to Kriya Yoga? Well, you know, it's, it's one of these things, in hindsight, I can see it's, you know, it's divinely orchestrated. You know, I, I did come back, you know, luckily I have a really strong, close family, and that's really helpful. But then there was this unrest, there was this, this, this despondency, if you will, about this Western mm-hmm. pursuit of happiness. People being so busy, not having time to connect with one another, not having time to connect with nature, the amount of waste. And then I knew that these lifestyles were impacting people in Sierra Leone, all the hand-me-down clothes from Goodwill and... Salvation Army can't get sold, so it gets dumped on the market in Sierra Leone. And there's, I just knew our lifestyles were impacting the world. So I was really in a despondent state, uh, which uh, I later learned in the Bhagavad Gita is one of the first steps of a spiritual path is despondency. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. fortunately, I, I met Michael Singer, uh, or Mickey Singer, and he later wrote the two New York Times bestselling books. One is The Untethered Soul, the other is The Surrender Experiment. And he had a small ashram and a software business. And and so at that time, I was suddenly exposed to a whole different realm. And I would have conversations with Michael Singer about, you know, the suffering in Africa and, and you know, the states of consciousness he was talking about. And he would just ask me, he's like, well, who asked you how it should be? And he would say, mm-hmm. there's, this, there's this universal intelligence that's guiding everything. He'd point out that there's hundreds of billions of stars in the galaxies. There's hundreds of billions, and now overestimate over two trillion galaxies, and it's all guided by intelligence. And he would talk about letting go of judgments, fears, and prejudice, and start to tune in with that. And so that's really started my journey. One step left to another. Read the autobiography Yogi. Later found out that Michael Singer was a devotee of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. And then you know, uh, have been studying Kriya Yoga. So it was this, it was this despondency inside, happy to meet up with Michael Singer, happy to read the autobiography of a yogi, and then I was able to really start my own experiment of going into this ancient science of of Kriya Yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's, uh, you know, wonderful that you describe it that way, because that's certainly been my experience as well. You know, there is something, um, you know, scientific, not, not, uh, you know, maybe like a randomized control. I'm a physician, so not like a randomized controlled, you know, trial, but nevertheless, there's a, you know, like a, um, technology that you can access that, that does have a very scientific uh, feel to it. So, um, in your experience with Kriya Yoga, you have, you know, really um, obviously learned about all of the breadth of the yoga tools that I was talking about, you know, in the introduction, you know, much broader than just asana. So what tools uh, has Kriya Yoga provided for you that have been essential to your work for peace in the outer world? 
Oh my God! It's you know I how to give a brief answer to this is just it's just profound. Uh, and, and again, it's what I love about Kriya Yoga is, is a science. I look to my own direct experience. I mean, Yogananda would say it's the person have develop a scientific way for having a direct personal relationship with God, and God being either impersonal, peace, bliss, joy, or personal aspect, divine mother, or heavenly father, or, or whatever the aspect. But what it did, it, it provided a, a real systematic way of learning to work with energy and consciousness within myself and then starting to open up to have glimpses of states of consciousness that were beyond my fear and anxieties or anger. And what it, so it was slowly a process of starting to tap into these deeper states of being, uh, first a, a negative piece, that would open up into a positive peace and then joy. And so I would have these glimpses. And then meanwhile, I would still have my habits, which you could say, which were formed around an ego that feels separated. So I started to feel a sense of deeper connection with something much bigger mm-hmm. than myself. And, and then I would have intuitive insights. I would have a sense of joy. And then over time, it started really opening up to a deeper sense of life purpose that went beyond anything that my mind could have made up. And and I think that's really the key is that it, Kriya gave me a discipline. There's there's a discipline, there's techniques, and then there's also a transmission that comes, uh, Laurel, and you probably know this. There's a transmission that comes when really going deeper into a lineage, not dabbling from yes. one thing to the next, but going deeper into a lineage because what happens is the, the con- this, my own waking up to my own soul essence in this lineage, I then connected with Paramahansa Yogananda, Swami Sri Yukteswar, Lahiri Mahasai, uh, Mahavatar Babaji, and then and then it becomes a relationship, a personal relationship, where that transmission is starting to activate parts of myself, and that activation mm-hmm. process. You know, it's not an easy thing because what we're, really, we're really talking about dismantling years and years, if not lifetimes, of conditioned pattering around an ego that feels fearful and separated to, wait, I am not just this ego. I'm just not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I'm my body. I have these things, but there's a deep, and there's a deeper essence, and that essence is the, the yogi's help bring that essence to the forefront where it's really starting to live from that essence and then taking a key part with Kriya Yoga is taking action in the world. Kriya Yoga is not just going off into the cave. It's awakening and then taking action guided by a deeper intelligence. Mm. Oh, you said that so well. That's really, really wonderful. Um, the... Um you, you gave such a you know wonderful summary of what I've experienced as well. You know that that obviously there are so many paths, and I believe all of the paths. It's the one truth known by many names. There's all these different paths uh, of spirituality, but I do feel that you get so much benefit from uh, from sticking with one thing, from finding something, and then not dabbling, not taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but really going in depth. You know, in one area, um, really brings you that connection that you're talking about. It's it feels like a stream to me, like a river, you know. And you're in that river, you know. I mean, it, somehow it's flowing through you um, in a way that I think if you just dabble, um, you know, if you do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, you never get that deeper, you know, connection. Um, so, how did Kriya Yoga then help you? integrate your Peace Corps experiences in Sierra Leone and even, I guess, beyond that. I mean, what we're really talking about is really, you know, your work for uh, outer peace in the world. Yeah, well, Kriya Yoga, I mean, it, it, it really, I mean, I just get moved thinking about it because, you know, with, with Sierra Leone, the relationship continued after Peace Corps. Um, as I started going deep, starting to explore Kriya Yoga, going deeper into it, Sierra Leone went into a war. And a bloody chaotic war that was fueled in part by the global economy, which is fueled by the massive pursuit of happiness through consumerism. And, right. you know, there's, and so Kriya Yoga became a way for me to start dealing with the news of, you know, of the war in Sierra Leone. I mean, it was just heartbreaking. I mean, Sierra Leone, when I left, it was one of the most peaceful planets, peaceful countries in the world, one of the poorest. But then there were pictures coming of child soldiers. And and so the, this is where there has really started um, a heartbreak. 
of, of you know, allowing myself to be exposed to the suffering of the world, and we'll go deeper into it, what it was like when I went back. But then Kriya Yoga really provided a container for the alchemy of the breaking open of the heart. I think it was Rumi says, mm-hmm. break, break the heart open again and again and again until it finally stays open. And it was excruciating. You know, it was excruciating to see, you know, the news coming from Sierra Leone, not knowing what's happening. And I would take that anguish. And I, think, I remember it was Yogananda would say, you know, if you want a response from God, pray to the Divine Mother. And this was one thing that really profoundly moved me about Kriya Yoga. I mean, Yogananda would say, find the aspect of God that is dear to you and then worship it with all your heart. And so I went into deep, deep prayer and meditation and just calling to the Divine Mother to reveal yourself, reveal yourself, reveal yourself. And then would start to have this response from in, inside the heart of just this incredible intoxicating love. And then this became a dance of like, how can there be this love and then how can there be this incredible suffering in the world? And and so Kriya Yoga really became the container and this lineage became the container of how to be open, going deeper inside and how to be present with suffering in the world. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if we really are all indeed part of one reality, supreme consciousness, and so are emanations of God – then, and you have the kind of experiences that you described in meditation of that deep bliss, that, you know, that peace, that path, path, path understanding, uh, as, you know, as in the Bible, the Christian Bible. Um, you know, then you see what the suffering that's, you know, that's occurring in the world, and it's difficult to reconcile. You know, how do we reconcile that, you know, with uh, this these blissful experiences in meditation with this outer world that contains pain and injustice? Um, so, I mean, obviously, you've, you know, you have come to peace and are able to, you know, to work in this area. I mean, part of it, too, is just avoiding burnout. You know, I think that, that yeah. there are a lot of people who may engage in the world in some way, you know, for social justice or for any of the many things that are, you know, that are, that are, um, you know, they're trying, people are trying to improve the many problems that there are in the world. Um, but how did you come to peace with those well, questions you know, and, and avoid burnout? <laughs> no, I, I, I did burn out. You know, it, it was interesting. This was my, this is where I love Michael Singer. And, you know, I encourage everyone to look at his Untethered Soul and the Surrender Experiment. I, I went to Washington, D.C., started, med- you know, this meditation, having these profound experiences, and thought I knew exactly what it needed to happen. Things didn't play out the way I thought, and I crashed and burned. And it was, it was excruciating. And I went to Michael Singer. I said, you know, I crashed and burned. He's like, yeah, I know. It's like, no, Mickey, you don't understand. I really burned. He's like, yeah, I know. He said, you thought you knew what was going on, and you had to get blown out of the seat with dynamite. And then he said, and, and he mentioned this to me, and he drove me around his office building. His office company had gone from a, maybe a dozen employees to several hundred it became the, the the country's leading software company in medical software. And he said, I didn't do any of this. All I did is follow the energy. Shakti said, go left. I went left. Shakti said, go right. I went right. He said, you have to learn to follow the energy. Let go of your thoughts. Let go of your judgments. Let go of your fears. And really surrender to serving with a, as much love as possible this impulse that's flowing through. And, and he said, and all the software could be gone tomorrow, this company could be gone tomorrow, and it wouldn't matter. And, and so he was really pointing to a, this is where it gets really, really deep. You know, it's, it's like, how can I show up? You know, with activism, we think, oh, I know exactly what the world needs. It's got to be this way. I get attached to it being done the way that I think it needs to be done. And then what happens is that really it's the ego's attachment to things to being the way we think we should. Now, with that said, by this surrendering, we can still take action. It can still be fierce action. I mean, I mean, Yogananda was fierce, and you can take action and fierce, and yet we're what we're offering it all to the divine. You know, every day yes. waking up, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna act. I'm gonna I'm gonna reason. I'm gonna will. I'm gonna act. Reason, will, and act through me. And then at the end of the day, offer the fruits of the labor. And, and, and for me, this became a real, real practice because, as we'll talk about in the next half, is, you know, I went back to Sierra Leone during the war. And, and so it's, 
if a person really is deeply committed to the, the deep science of yoga, you know, the, the deep teachings of the Bhagavad Gita, and then doing the daily practice in the morning and the evening, the meditations, and then having every moment of the day be a practice of really attuning to deeper inner wisdom, there's a lot of polishing that's going to happen. And, mm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing learning process for me. And it's a beautiful dance with the divine. Mm. Oh, that's just, just gorgeous, the way that you said that. So I was just, um, you know, going to uh, underline, you know, that you've been talking about a couple of yoga principles, you know, so, you know, the the way that yoga is defined in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, that Kriya Yoga is defined, you know, as the, you know, as the three main practices, you know, being uh, svadhyaya or self-study, uh, uh, tapas or self-discipline, um, which has a burning quality, <laughs> which, you, which you were describing there and which I have also experienced, um, and then and uh, uh, Ishvara Pranidhan, you know, which is uh, surrender, surrender to God, surrender of the outcomes, you know, and mm. and then and then non-attachment, you know, uh, um, to uh, be uh, in the world to take action, just as you mentioned, you know, and yet to be able to release um, the result and uh, surrender it to God. I think is, um, I mean, these are. Uh, it's easy to list them like that. Boom, boom, boom. One, two, three. But I think it's a, it's um, it's another whole enterprise to try and live your life that way. You know, where right. you um, really, you know, devote yourself on a daily basis to trying to, you know, to live those principles. So um, this has uh, been a wonderful conversation so far. I'm excited to continue. It's time for the break. Uh, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Philip Helmick, Director of Peace for the Shift Network. Philip has dedicated most of his life to global and local peace building. You can find out more about his work at the website summerofpeace.net and worldpeacelibrary.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll be exploring more about sharing our inner peace. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. If you've ever wondered how a specific Bible verse might be interpreted metaphysically, then Interpret This is for you. In Interpret This, Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley answers your questions about the Bible and how to apply its verses to your life with passion, depth, and spiritual insight. To submit a question or to enjoy any of his numerous metaphysical interpretations, visit unity.org and click on the Interpret This box. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Philip Helmick, Director of Peace at the Shift Network. Um, the book, his book that we've been talking about, which I don't think I've mentioned, uh, is called God and Conflict, A Search for Peace in a Time of Crisis. And I 
uh, would highly recommend it. And you can find out more about the other things Philip is involved in, which we will hopefully uh, take some time for uh, in this segment, summerofpeace.net and worldpeacelibrary.com. So, Philip, we've been speaking about the tension between the inner blissful states we can experience during meditation and then the contrast with the painful and troubling aspects of the outer world, such as war and violence. And in a recent article that I really enjoyed, uh, you wrote about inner peace, inner peace being a global responsibility. Mm. So, how how is this so? How is inner peace a global responsibility? Sure. Thank you, Laura. I, I love this aspect. You know, it, it, this comes from many, I mean, a lot of deep reflection about the, the situation in Sierra Leone, trying to bridge the meditation practice. And inner peace is a global responsibility for a couple of reasons. One is the collective impact of lack of inner peace through the Western pursuit of happiness, through massive consumerism, is contributing to environmental degradations and also uh, conflicts such as the one in Sierra Leone that happened in eastern Congo around oil. And let me make this a little bit more real for you. I mean, when I went back to Sierra Leone during the war, I found both villages I lived in had been sacked by uh, rebel units with child soldiers. Mm-hmm. One was a rebel unit uh, with a boy, um, teenage boy, who was the commander who was named Colonel Rambo, who had been trained in part by watching Rambo movies. Uh, many of my friends have been killed, many have been raped, many have been beaten. Um, b- diamonds from Sierra Leone onto the, uh, the international market, the clear-cutting of vast forests um, to feed the Western consumption was being used by the rebels to buy AK-47s and other arms being dumped on the market. So we can see a global economy where it's the pursuit of happiness outside of ourself that contributes to this massive consumption that has impacts in ways that we never imagined. And so mm-hmm. literally, you know, eight, eight-year-old boys in Sierra Leone carrying AK-47s acting like Rambo or Chuck Norris. I mean, it's just demented. So mm-hmm. we can see, we can, and, and psychologists now have a term called the hedonic treadmill, where we try to get something outside of ourselves to get another experience, and it keeps going, it keeps going and going. And the ironic part is, the you know, the the accelerated pursuit of happiness through massive consumerism actually leads to isolation and, and, and unhappiness. So that's mm-hmm. one aspect. And so we, there's a real need to really collectively redefine the pursuit of happiness. The second aspect is deeper. And this is where, you know, Yogananda would say when you go into meditation, the first contact of it, there's going to be a negative piece. This is where we start to calm the minds, calm the senses. And then this negative piece opens up to a positive piece. And this is when we're starting to contact the soul essence. And that positive piece opens up to a bliss and joy. It also opens up to uh, tapping into higher levels of intelligence, of wisdom, uh, intuition. Uh, Michael Singer described this really well in the surrender experiment, how he would go into meditation, tap into this intuition, and then use that to help design software, you know, for the medical industry. Uh, Steve Jobs read the autobiography every year. It was on his iPad. He had it passed out at his funeral. And, and so people, the folks like this have started to really understand that when we go into these deeper states of wisdom, we tap into a, we tap into a field of universal intelligence, if you will. And, and that intelligence is also, it's highly creative, highly innovative, and then what can happen, it opens up each of us to our sense of life purpose that is ultimately in service beyond some, our own selfish ego. So when we look at inner peace as global responsibility, A, it's also the impact of the collective lack of peace, and then two, it's that this inner peace brings us into a direct experience and connected to something much bigger than ourselves tapping into a life purpose, tapping into intelligence, and bringing that forward. And then ultimately, I mean, if you want to look at it, we start to become manifestations of awakened consciousness and and the world that can be created from that space, which is going to be much more compassionate and loving and kind, is far beyond anything that we could do from a place of fear and separation and trying to get as much as I can to, you know, for myself or a few family members. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, indeed. So, um, you know, what you were just talking about, about this drive for happiness as an external pursuit, I think that's where one of the really wonderful practices of Kriya Yoga is so helpful, so self-study. So, just look, <laughs> just look at that process in your life, you know, where, um, you know, you want, um, you know, you want a new pair of shoes, you want a, um, you know, a new outfit, you want a new car, anything, you know, whatever it is, that's the, you know, that's the thing of the moment. First of all, where does that come from? You know, so, um, you know, are you watching ads? Is it something that, you know, is coming to you from, you know, media in some way? Um, but then the whole life cycle of that, like, you know, I have a car that I totally, totally loved. Um, and now it's not really bringing me that much pleasure because it's not the car that I need at the moment. <laughs> so I was super happy when I bought that car. Um, and, uh, it hasn't, you know, it, it, it hasn't lasted, you know, so it doesn't take a whole lot of self-study to see that, you know, when we are trying to buy happiness in the outside world, it's very limited, you know, so, so to me, that's so important. It doesn't even work. <laughs> no. mm. Um, and then what you were talking about in terms of meditation, you know, so meditation, that uh, helps us to access the, you know, this um, universal intelligence that you've been describing and awakens our intuition, uh, which is, uh, which you can, I actually feel that, that you can, you know, you can feel that over time as you establish a meditation practice, you can feel, um, you know, your intuition opening in a way. Uh, and also, um, that your discernment, your capacity to, you know, discern, the, like you were saying, you know, your life path, uh, decisions that you need to make. I mean, these things all become so much easier um, mm-hmm. with a with a meditation practice. Um, so I just wanted to underline, you know, a couple a couple of things, and then a lovely vision that you painted about, you know, if you are really in this awakened consciousness, what kind of world could we create from that? Is a really is a really beautiful vision, and obviously not where we're going to get if we are coming at it with a, a lot of fear. Right. So in, in the book, you really talk about <clears throat> the parallels that you have seen between the inner journey of moving towards soul awareness and oneness with God and then the outer process of being a peacemaker in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so can you say more about that? Yeah, it, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to a sense of separation. I mean, the the inner journey, it's really um, a sense of separation between oneself and God, divine, universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it. And that's it, what, what happens is we have our thoughts, we have our emotions, we identify them, we've, and we think that's who we are. And then that develops a sense of separation that develops the wanting self. I want to be happy, I want to avoid suffering, and then I try to get everything outside of the world to address that wanting self. And so so that sense of separation and the whole inner journey is moving beyond the sense of separation, moving beyond the likes and dislikes and the desires and fears of this wanting self to really coming back to a sense of connectedness with this larger whole. And 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 so that's the part of the inner journey. The outer journey in peace building, I saw real parallels because what really in conflict is 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 that sense of separation brought up on a, a large scale. And when we have a large sense of separation, then there's the other, and then the we become identified with you know our identity. Uh, it's either. A Democrat, Republican, Christian, a Jew, Muslim, and da da, you know, and so forth, and and then we see the other as separate, and then we go to a really dangerous, dangerous place of spirit, you know, of of stereotype and demonizing and dehumanizing, and and so the modern peace building technology, which has been growing exponentially, you know, the global peace system has been growing quietly. It's really about helping people. Move beyond a sense of separation, rehumanize, and what happens is when there's this rehumanization, it awakens qualities of compassion, tolerance, and forgiveness. The same innate qualities that naturally arise when we go deeper into a spiritual practice, when we experience a sense of connection. So compassion, you know, and scientists are now proving, neuroscience are proving, we're wired for compassion. Right. We're also wired yeah. for fight, flight, and fear. 
And it's when we feel that sense of separation, fight, flight, and fear of the amygdala gets triggered. And when we feel a sense of connectedness and belonging and rehumanize, it awakens our potential for compassion. So there's real, real, it means like, it, it, the inner journey is like a fractal to the larger peace building. Very similar mm. principles. Mm. Yeah, lovely. So, um, <clears throat> you were um, you were talking about this process of you know getting in a rehumanization, and I really like that term, um, putting us in touch with our you know compassion tolerance and forgiveness in the outer world and i can also see the echoes of that obviously in the inner world because you know how often then in a um you know moment of clarity do we see something that we've done ourselves you know that uh requires that you know we can really give ourselves a, a hard time about it which is not that helpful um but having that compassion tolerance and forgiveness also for ourselves is a you know is a really uh so it's in that way it's also the fractal that you were talking about of the outer world world, um, you know, finding these qualities and bringing them forth, and then, the, and then the inner world also finding them for ourselves, you know, the, self, the self-compassion and the importance of self-compassion. Right, 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 exactly. <clears throat> and, I mean, and to go further into this, what was really nice about with the experience in Sierra Leone is, is while I was going in and out of a war zone, you know, from 2000 or 1998 through, you know, 2005, 2007, I was working on peace-building projects, so I was able really to start looking at the parallels even more deeper with the inner technology and the grounded, practical ways of doing peace-building in difficult conflict situations. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how has your meditation practice changed how you view that conflict in the outer well, world? It, because I now, now I now I view conflict as really just a natural part of the human experience. And again, on the deepest mm-hmm. level, and I think the Bhagavad Gita, you know, Yogananda has a beautiful interpretation of Bhagavad Gita. Uh, there's a person I recently met, Sashri, who has a video series free online of the Bhagavad Gita. It's really this this inner conflict. I, I mean, conflict really starts there. Again, it's that conflict of I have my thoughts. It's I feel separate from the larger whole, and I have to control everything. And then, and so that conflict of going from that ego state of feeling separate into basically union with the soul and soul with spirit, I mean, this is where this thousands of year old technology of yoga, it, it's really about those inner battles. And then, and then, so, and that conflict then is just played out on the interpersonal and, and community level. And so really we're all, in a state of moving beyond this fear and separation on our, on our inner level, and again, and when we have these these conflicts inside, um, um, we 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 you know we we take it externally. But but what's nice? Um, so it, it just it's just like yeah, of course, there's conflict in the world. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's duality. We're in a world of duality. There's there's light and shadow. You know, internally I feel separated, and neighbors can feel separated, and and then we're just learning how to move into a place of feeling a deeper sense of connected, and then learning to act with wisdom. And this is where. You know, the whole inner journey is so important, just this sermon of how to act with wisdom. And the peace-building technology that's emerging is really similar. Is how do we move from a place of reactivity to responsiveness? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so one of the things, <clears throat> one of the quotes from the book that I really enjoyed is you said, if people in a society learned to deal with conflict constructively, then conflict could be an engine for growth and transformation each step of the way. It was really about a slow and gradual shift in mindsets and consciousness. So talking about the transformation of consciousness. So how can conflict be an engine for growth and transformation? Again, let's take this at, at, I love this. Thank you, Laurel, for asking. Let's take this at, at multiple levels. Let's start with the inner process. You know, as we start to deal with our inner conflicts of the fear and the anger and so forth, and we start to really awaken to our, our deeper sense of uh, deep peace and a sense of belonging, as we, we, we go from being reactive and automated, you know, running by fear to a place where we can then act from a place of wisdom. And so that conflict 
drives us, that sense of despondency that is talked about in the Gita brings us to a place of, wow, I can actually live more consciously and less reactive and, you know, manifest higher qualities. Interpersonal, think about it. If we're only in a place of action-reaction and I get triggered and I react angrily and you get triggered and we, you know, if, if, when you do that... And, and then we bring in, you know, some inner technology together with some modern peace-building tools like communication skills and, and different techniques. We can get to a place, okay, there's an action. I can pause. I can witness. I can witness my thoughts and emotions before reacting. And then I can choose to respond from a more compassionate place. I can bring in some tools like nonviolent communication, or Rita Marie Johnson combines nonviolent communication with HeartMac technology. And then as we do that, we go from <clears throat> having relationships where we're just fighting each other, where we can actually understand each other and start understanding the unmet needs. And then we can go from attacking each other to standing side by side to address shared problems together. And then this happens on the community level. And what's beautiful is that there's been an exponential growth of these technologies in the peace-building arena. Nonviolent communication. Um, then there's these, you know, uh, mediation being taught in school, peace and conflict resolu- resolution. So when we go from battling each other to really seeing our shared humanity, and then we can address problems together, then we can co-create world. You know, it, it, think there's look at look at all the cooperation that there is already in the world. I mean, just driving a car, you come to a stop sign. There's agreements on how to do things, you know, who goes first. And so there's, this has been happening organically. We've been learning how to resolve conflict and co-create ways of being. And so this way, it's, it's really spirit learning to manifest through us, or we're learning to cooperate with spirit to manifest through us higher, higher ways of expression of humanity by learning how to deal with conflict. And it's really a, a beautiful process. If we can approach conflict as natural and an opportunity to really understand each other deeper and to manifest a higher solution, then I think it, it, it becomes a beautiful dance again. Mm-hmm. So you've been talking about the many tools that have you know been developed around peace building. So I wanted to um, have you talk about your current role as director of peace at the Shift Network and all of the stuff that you have going on there regarding peace building. So can you describe some of the resources that are available to help build our skills as peacemakers, like the World sure. Peace Library? Sure, sure. It, it was a dream come true six years ago when I joined the Shift Network because I, I knew from working in Sierra Leone and working on peace building things that there was a larger impulse of peace emerging around the world. And so what we've done over the last six years is interviewed hundreds and hundreds of peace builders looking at the inner dimension, interpersonal dimension, uh, across uh, communities and national and international. And, and we've been making available free online tele-summit uh, uh, seminars, um, summerpeace.net. Um, and, and so we've been doing this. And so by that bird's eye view, we could see there was a larger, larger impulse of peace emerging. It was expressing itself through all these different ways. So the worldpeacelibrary.net is a free resource. As far as I know, it's one of the first bird's eye view mapping of peace from inner peace to international peace building. And so mm-hmm. when you go there, you will see that there's categories. There's inner peace which will look at peace from the mind-body-health, spirituality, neuroscience. And then there's personal, uh, interpersonal, interpersonal and family peace. And we'll look at that, you know, what are the different ways to communicate more peacefully? Um, what are the ways to deal with domestic violence and so forth? And then we go to community level. At community level, there's been, again, this exponential growth of, of there was a handful of colleges in 1984 with peace and conflict resolution. Now there's hundreds of them around the world. Mm-hmm. And there's the exponential growth of peer mediation in, in high schools. And there's the exponential growth of community mediation and alternative dispute resolution. There's been this quiet global p- 
peace system, as uh, a friend of mine, Al Jubit, says, global peace system that's been emerging. And so what we, with the, uh, the worldpeacelibrary.com and the summerpeace.net, what we do is we're highlighting what's emerging to inspire, inform, and invite people to get involved. And again, it's anchored in the, you know, we anchor it in the inner, and then look at the interpersonal and the community and the national and the international all simultaneously. And all of these technologies that we're pointing to are really helping people move beyond a sense of separation to awaken compassion, to awaken tolerance, awaken forgiveness, and then look at how we can co-create a world. Like right now we have a summit going on that's part of the Summer of Peace called Inspiring Positive Social Change, Cutting-Edge Insights from Spirituality, Neuroscience, and Peace Building. And, and we're pointing to that there is a lot emerging around the world that we're just not aware of because we just watch the news, which you know, can focus on conflict and fear and anger and polarization. No, there's, there's really quite a bit emerging. And so by bringing attention to it and then inviting people to participate, we can go from despair and hopelessness and despondency to, wow, you know, there's really practical reasons to be inspired, to be hopeful, and there's practical tools that can help me have better communication with people in my family, in my neighbors, and in community. There's tools to help me deal with stress. There's the ancient science of yoga. And one of, one of my favorite programs we've done the last three years is the yogadaysummit.com, where I've traveled to India to the birthplace of yoga, and I've interviewed Swami yoga teachers on the banks of the Ganges asking them questions about how is this ancient science of yoga relevant to modern transformation. And so mm-hmm. yogadaysummit.com, and it's just, it's just a wonderful, it's been a wonderful experience, it is a wonderful experience to be able to provide a reflection of what's emerging in humanity from mm-hmm. the hearts and souls of, of so many people co-creating a world that can work for all. Wow, that is a lot that's going on, and it's really wonderful to hear about it. And I I love the emphasis on sharing the positive stories, because you're right, all we read about, if we get our, you know, just get our news from, uh, well, news media, you know, is in general, people, it's all the negative stuff, you know, and and it feeds that fear and that separation. And so it's so important to share the positive stories as well. And speaking of some of the positive things, so I was very intrigued to read about the Global Peace Index. Yeah. And to hear that, and and to hear that some of the trends this year are moving in a positive direction. So, what is the Global Peace Index, and and why is it important? This is where I, I love, um, you know, Steve Killalay is, you know, he, he actually has a meditation practice. He's from Australia. He was a successful businessman, and he wanted, and he's really inspired for peace. So he's taken a very social science approach to looking at the indicators of peace and what are the most peaceful countries and the least peaceful countries in the world. And and he's been doing this for 10 years. It's the Institute uh, for Economics and Peace, and they've created the Global Peace Index together with other indexes, Global Terrorist Index. And so they look at these trends, and it's highly respected in the United Nations, the World Bank, USAID, U.S. State Department, and he's brought this the scientific way of looking at peace and measuring the economic impact for lack of peace in the world. Like the economic impact of lack of peace in 2016, I think, was something like $13.6 trillion mm. uh, due to conflict in the world. And, and so he's bringing this science, scientific approach to it, and it's catching people's attention. Uh, uh, the, this institute just signed a memo, memo of understanding with the Rotary International mm-hmm. um, and to look at you know, how to bring an understanding of the Global Peace Index to more and more communities around the world. And, and it, has a, it has both a negative peace and a positive peace, positive peace being what are the, what are the systems and structures that allow for you know, you know, thriving, peaceful societies. And, and so he's brought a social science aspect of peace that's helping people who need, need to understand impact, need to understand, you know, things from an economic perspective um, mm-hmm. that, wow, you know, there is. Yeah, and 
Yeah, what I loved about it is, you know, if so he tracks individual countries over time, you know, so you can see if if the peace index for that country is going up, but then he also tracks it as, you know, globally, well, actually regions of the world and then globally. Um, and so, you know, overall, actually, you know, the peace index is is better this year, yeah. you know, despite what we read in the news and all the terrorist attacks and all of that, there actually is a lot of movement that you don't necessarily read about or hear about. And um, anyway, you can um, just Google a Global Peace Index and you'll find that. So um, I cannot believe it, Philip, we've come to the end of the yoga hour. <laughs> this is the time has just flown by. Um, you've been listening to the yoga hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing Find Inner Peace and Share It with our special guest, Philip Helmick, Director of Peace at the Shift Network, also Director of the Summer of Peace, and Lead Designer of the World Peace Library. So check those things out, summerofpeace.net and worldpeacelibrary.com. Thank you so much, Philip, for joining us. Yeah, Laurel, thank you. It was just it's just a delight to be able to have the kind of depth of conversation and really appreciate the invitation and all that you and the team are doing with the yoga hour. So thank you. Well thank you. So join us next week for Awakening to Our Inner Stillness, the Healing Power of Music with guest Gary Malkin, an Emmy and Clio award-winning composer, public speaker, and music health innovator who inspires the world to embrace music as a catalyst for healing, mindfulness, and a more meaningful life. For those listening in July 2017, there's an upcoming Radiant Living Kriya Yoga Meditation Retreat at CSE in San Jose, California with Yogacharya O'Brien from July 27th to 29th, 2017. For more information, see CSE's website at csecenter.org. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. You can find out more again at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're enjoying the program, please share it with your friends. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team. Uh, regular host, founder, and director of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Nita Kenyon, Ann Hayes, and Sean Smith, and Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a hundred years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern 
right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. As human beings, we have been granted quite a bit of power. One of the greatest powers that we have is the power of choice. We can choose to react to situations and to people in any way that we like, and it has tremendous effect on our lives and our world. There is a spiritual law that states, thoughts held in mind will produce after their kind. Simply put, our thoughts can create our worlds. And it's quite possible to change the total direction of our lives by simply changing the way we think, by choosing to see life differently. If you're unhappy with the direction your life is headed, remember, you can change it. You've been given the power of choice. Learn how to choose it wisely. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 